Good morning, everyone. I want to welcome you to our service this morning. Those of you that are here, it's good to see your smiling faces. And those of you that are online, I want to welcome you to our worship service this morning. We look forward to connecting with the Lord and having Him speak to us. We're going to start our service with a song. It's, a, it's an upbeat favorite everywhere I go. And just to remind you, this song was written by a guy who was impressed when he was praying with his child before bed or some, some, I guess they were going somewhere, and they was praying that the Lord would go with them as they were traveling, safety as they're traveling. And he thought, you know, um, you know, we kind of make our plans and then expect the Lord to rubber stamp them. And he says, maybe a better attitude would be to think about where's the Lord going and let's go with him. So that's what this song is about. Everywhere I go, we want to go with the Lord and uh, have his uh, agenda be our agenda. So if you're able, if you would be willing to stand and uh, let's get our blood circulating with this song, Everywhere I Go. Everywhere I go on this road, high and low, everywhere I go with gather God's people in this place to worship Him. If you're visiting or new or joining us online, I haven't been here before. My name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's a joy to welcome you here with us this morning. A couple of announcements before we can continue with our worship. One, like we've recently started kind of 
serving baked goods along with our coffee in the time between or after the service. And so we're looking for kind of baked good donations. So if you want to contribute to that, um, you can contact the office and we can give you more instructions about how to contribute to that. Also, um, our we're in a transition coming up here, our online giving platform. And so we've been using one term, we're going to transition to Breeze. Um, and so it'll just help some simplify and streamline some bookkeeping things. And so if you've been giving online through Easy Tithes, that'll still work for a while, but eventually we'll kind of transition to this new platform. And so there's information uh, in the bulletin and on our website about how to make that transition, like signing up for um, for Breeze, it's a relatively straightforward process. So if you're giving online, be aware of that. Um, yeah, otherwise, it's good to be with you here this morning, and we look forward to continuing to worship together. So let's continue in song.
You may be seated. Will you pray with me? Father, we come and we're thankful for we just saying who you are. God, that you you are a miracle worker, you are a way maker, that you are good to us, that you care about us, um, you are You are in control, that you have good plans for each of us, that you are in the process of working out your plan for your universe. And it's a good plan. God, I pray that you would be with us this morning as we come to worship you, that we would feel a confidence in your goodness and your care for us, that we could sing and we could worship you. We could glorify you in light of who you are. God, that we would have a right knowledge or understanding who we who you are, and we would worship you because of that. God, that we would lay aside our other concerns, other cares this morning, and focus on you and bring glory to your name. God, we pray for those in our church and throughout the world, fellow believers who are going through various kinds of trials and difficulties, that you would be with them, that you would, that they would feel your presence in a real and powerful way this morning. They would be amazed by what a great God you are, even as they walk through trial and challenges. God, would you be glorified by all that take place here this morning. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. As we continue worshiping this morning, one way we want to worship is through giving and to invite you into that. And so if you're a regular attender or a member here, we would invite you to worship through giving. A couple options for that. You can give in the plate on your left on the way out or online. You can go to our website and there's information about giving online there. Um, if you're visiting, you're not a regular attender, like, please, no, we don't want you to give. This is where the service to be a gift to you, but for those of you who want to worship with us and partner with us in that way, those are the ways you can do that. And with that, let's continue worshiping together. One of our themes this morning in our worship is the fact that God sent Jesus to take our place in terms of our sin. So let me now read to you a passage probably familiar to most of you from the book of Romans. It says, But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. And yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. And so people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life for us shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past, for he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he declares sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. So let's stand together and sing some songs that celebrate this great truth. Blessed did my Savior 
Father, we, we do thank you that you and your Son come and to live, but you ultimately die. We just saying rejected and alone for us because you thought of us above all. And so help us to live in light of that truth this morning. Help us to hear your word in light of that truth. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So, after years of resistance and whatever, like I, a little over a week ago, got my first iPhone ever. Like, like I've been riding with Team Android for a long time. I'm proud of it. But Apple finally broke me down. And so, like, if you know anything about me, like, Vanessa will be happy to tell you. I spend way too much time researching and being interested in technology things, right? So I didn't take this transition lightly. So I spent a lot of time reading about the new iPhone and different things. And like, I won't bore you with the details of why I changed, right? But like, one of the things that Apple probably advertised about the new iPhone is this like fast charge feature where you can get 50% of a charge in 30 minutes. Plug it in, 50, 50% charge in 30 minutes, which that's great. It's not unique to Apple, but it's still a nice feature to have. But that was a nice thing to think about. So I received my iPhone, and like all that's in the box when you get the iPhone is the phone itself, some paperwork, and like this cord. Not even like the little block thing that plugs, this thing plugs into, that plugs into the wall which would not be a big deal. Like, I had like 8,000 of those little block things laying around my house. But the problem is, to get that fast charging, right, not any block will do. You need a special block that can transfer energy at like, up like 20 watts, and most of the blocks that are around don't do that. And so, like, to get that 50% charge in 30 minutes, you have to provide for yourself, or in Apple's ideal world, you purchase like, additional supplies. Like, they don't provide everything that's needed for their promise to be true. Like, and thankfully, though, like we'll see this morning, God doesn't work like that. On the other hand, today, in today's passage, we see, like, unlike Apple, right, God provides what is needed for his promises to be true. Whenever God makes a promise, he will provide everything that's necessary for that promise to be true. Even when it looks like that promise is in great danger of failing. And so this is our, our fourth week in this series we're calling Scarlet Thread. It's we're kind of tracing how the scarlet thread of Jesus is kind of woven throughout the whole Bible, even from the very beginning in the book of Genesis. And so Last week, we looked at one of these important promises that God makes. Right? In Genesis chapter 12, God makes a promise to Abraham, and he tells him, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. 
and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So God promises Abram, among other things, one, that he'll be a great nation, and two, that all people on the earth will be blessed through him. But those two promises in particular seem kind of far-fetched. Because Abram, when God makes the promises, 75 years old. And he's married to a woman named Sarai who is barren and unable to conceive. So how is a childless old man with a barren wife going to become a great nation? How can all people on earth be blessed through this one childless man? Those promises seem entirely impossible to keep. And so Abram and Sarai start thinking, like, maybe God needs us to do something. Maybe we have to do something to make God's promise come true. Maybe we need to take matters into our own hands. And so Sarai says, well, like, obviously I can't give you a child, and so maybe if you have one with my servant Hagar, that's how the promise will be kept. So they do that. Abram has a child with, named Ishmael with Hagar. Right? But God says, like, no, that's not how I'm going to fulfill my promise. I will provide what is needed. Like, you don't have to take matters into your own hands. I will do it. And so after Ishmael was born, God restates the promise to Abram again. Like, he assured Abram, I'm going to keep my promise but not in the way that you tried to do yourself. And to like drive home how serious he is about keeping his own promise, God changes Abram's name to Abraham. Abram means exalted father. Abraham means father of many. And likewise, he changes Sarai's name to Sarah. And then eventually, God miraculously opens Sarah's womb, and at 90 years old, she gives birth to a boy named Isaac. So the child Isaac, he is the son of the promise. He is God's miraculously given means of keeping his promise to Abraham. He is the way. Like This is how God is going to keep his promises. And so in Genesis 21, Isaac is born, and Abraham actually sends Hagar and Ishmael away so they're no longer part of the family. Like Isaac is his only son now. He is the son through whom God is going to keep his promises. And so you can imagine like, how precious this child Isaac must have been to Abraham and Sarah. Like not only is he this miracle child of their, own, of their old age, right? he is their hope for the future, but he's also like, the means by which God is going to keep his promises. He is a precious child, a precious gift from God. Which is what makes what we read in Genesis 22 so unfathomable. So we're going to read Genesis 22, verses 1 through 19. So if you have a Bible, I'd invite you to turn there. If you don't have one, there's one in the seat in front of you. You can use that. Both the verses will be on the screen as well. So as we read through this passage, we're going to see three things. We're going to see a problem, a provision, and a promise. We're going to start in verses 1 through 10 where we see first the problem. This is what the author of Genesis writes in Genesis 22, 1 through 10. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he carried the fire and the knife as the two of them went on together. 
Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Like, as I said, like, these verses lay out first a problem. And so really there, there are two problems here. Like, one is, like, how can an all-good, all-loving God ask Abraham to sacrifice his child? And that's a challenging question and one that worth thinking about. But if we look at this passage, like it's not a question that the author of this passage is terribly concerned with answering. And so like, I really firmly believe that like, the job of the sermon is to teach what the Bible is saying in that passage. And so since the, that passage doesn't really talk about that question, I'm not going to talk about it now. Right? But if we come to cross-training after the service, I'd be happy to talk more about that question then. So, but for now, I want to focus on right, the problem that the passage is more concerned with, which is, like, how is God going to keep his promises to Abraham if Abraham sacrifices Isaac? If Isaac is a child of the promise, if Isaac is a child through whom God is going to keep all his promises to Abraham, like, what happens if Abraham sacrifices him? That's the question. That's the problem this passage wants us to wrestle with. And that's like that's the problem Abraham must have been wrestling with as this story plays out. And God shows up to him and he says, like, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. Like just that that the way God says that. Take your son, your only son, the son whom you love. Isaac, like, it almost seems like, it almost feels like a little bit like God's like twisting the knife a little bit, like driving home how much he loved Isaac, how painful is it going to be. But I think that the reason God says, son, your only son, whom you love, like, he wants Abraham to know that God's under no delusion about what he's asking Abraham to do. He knows what a big task, what a big ask this is. He wants Abraham to know that he fully understands what is going on. And yet, God tells him to sacrifice him as a burnt offering. It can be challenging to come to Bible stories that we know well and to really feel, to really empathize with and feel what the people in that story must have been going through in that moment. It can be challenging, but just for a minute, try to Put yourself in Abraham's shoes. And like, think about what this command would have done to him. And really, this command is like a double-edged sword. On the one hand, he's being asked to sacrifice his beloved son, which that, in and of itself, is unfathomable. Right? But then, if that weren't bad enough, it also seems like God asking him to do this is God going back on his promises. God going back on all the promises he's made to Abraham throughout the years. None of those promises can be true if, Abraham, if Isaac is dead. And so, by doing this, like, Abraham would be losing his son and also the God he had followed so faithfully for so many years. And yet, Abraham obeys. In verse 3, it says, Early the next morning, Abraham got up. It's like that phrase, early the next morning, is amazing to me. Like, there's no delay. There's no waiting. There's no wishy-washy. Whatever. Like, he, just, he gets up and he sets about doing what God has called him to do. And then they, and they walk for three days. Abraham has three days to contemplate what God has called him to do. 
And again, just like imagine what that must have been like. It's just you and your son and a couple of servants out walking for three days. And you know in the back of your head like what God had called you to do. And yet Abraham continues to press on until they finally reach the area that God had called them to give the sacrifice. And so now Abraham and Isaac leave behind the servants and they head up the mountain where the sacrifice is supposed to take place. But before they leave the servant behind, Abraham makes an interesting statement. He says to them, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Like, even as Abraham takes all the steps to do this terrible thing that God had called them to do, like, he expresses confidence right, that somehow, some way, both he and Isaac will return to the servants and travel home together. And there's a similar sentiment in verses 7 and 8. When like, Isaac asks the obvious question, like, uh, hey, Dad, like, where's the lamb? And Abraham doesn't say, well, son, we need to talk about that. No, he says, what does he say? He says, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And they continue on toward the mountain. No, it's fair to wonder, like maybe Abraham was just saying that to keep the servants quiet, to keep Isaac in line. He doesn't want to tell them what's going on until the last possible second. That could be. But I think Abraham really meant what he said. And we kind of get a peek into Abraham's mindset from the book of Hebrews. The author of Hebrews says, By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Here's, here's a peek in Abraham's mind. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Abraham was convinced that when it came down to it, God could even raise Isaac from the dead if that's what it took for God to keep his promise. Like, Abraham was convinced that God somehow, some way, was going to spare Isaac. So the real question then is, like, how did Abraham get to this place of confidence in God? I think like, that confidence comes from Abraham's year of walking with God and seeing God keep his promises over and over and over again. From the time God called him out of Haran right, to follow him into an unknown land, God has shown over and over and over again that he was faithful and that he would keep his promises to Abraham. And like Abraham messed up along the way. He lied and said Sarah was his sister instead of his wife. Like he had the whole incident with Hagar and Ishmael. Like and those things taught him that like taking matters into your own hands isn't how God's going to keep his promises. Instead, Abraham had learned through years and years of walking closely with God, of communing with God, that he should be obedient, that he should have faith, that he should follow God wherever God called him. And the trust right, that God would provide the means of keeping his promises. Like Abraham learned, like, it's God who provides the means. And so it's tempting to look at this story and think, yeah, I want to be like Abraham. Like, I want to have faith like Abraham. So I'm going to try to emulate and copy Abraham's faith. I'm going to try hard to be like Abraham. But this story ultimately isn't about Abraham. This story is about the God that Abraham has faith in. The reason Abraham has such faith is because of his deep 
intimacy and relationship with God. And so to try to copy Abraham's faith without also having the same knowledge and relationship with God will never work. It's kind of like, I don't know, if you watch a cooking show on TV or whatever, like this chef like makes this incredible meal, like, like this incredible steak, and this incredible looking beautiful salad, and these amazing looking potatoes. And so you're like, I'm going to copy that. Right, but the chef, huge ribeye. Right, like, all you have in the freezer is some old flank steak that's been like, getting freezer burn back there for three years. Right? And like, the chef has an incredible assortment of beautiful vegetables for a salad. And like, you got some wilting lettuce and some canned vegetables. Right? And like, the chef used these nice potatoes that he created this beautiful thing with, and you would just have a bag of frozen tater tots. Like, you can try to recreate that recipe, right? but without the proper ingredients, like, your meal is going to be a poor imitation. And, like, the same thing's true here. Right? You can try to copy Abraham's faith. You can, like, just try to will yourself to have faith like Abraham. But without the right ingredients, namely a deep knowledge and intimacy with God, like, your faith is going to be a poor imitation. If you, if you want faith like Abraham, if you want to be able to confidently follow God wherever he calls, the key is not willing yourself to have that faith. The key is knowing God through reading his word, through prayer, through spending time with him. The point of this story is not to make you say, I want to be like that Abraham. The point of this story is to make you say, I want to know that God. And so with that knowledge of God, with that confidence in God, Abraham and Isaac continue on trusting that God will keep his promises. But as the story reaches a climax, there's still no sign of God intervening. Verses 9 and 10 say, When they reached the place, God had told them about Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Like the promises of God had never seemed more perilous than in this moment. Like the promises of God are one knife thrust away from coming to nothing. And yet Abraham, like trusting that God somehow, some way, will remain faithful to his promises, continues to be obedient to God. He continues to move forward with what God has called him to do, trusting that God will provide what is needed for his promises to be true. And at the last possible second, God does just that. God provides the means to keep his promise. At the last possible second, we see the provision. Just like God told Isaac he would, God told, just like Abraham told Isaac God would, that God provides the lamb. Verses 11 through 14 we read, But the angel of the Lord called out from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from, from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place, that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. And so there's those words in there that are incredibly important when we read, he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. This is the first time in the Bible we see this idea of like a substitutionary sacrifice, right? where one thing dies so another thing may live. And because the ram dies, Isaac lives, and because Isaac lives, God promises of building Abraham into a great nation 
live on as well. God provided what was needed, a ram, in order to keep his promise. And so this is the first time we see this idea of substitution in the Bible. But it's certainly not the last. You can think of Passover. When the nation of Israel is enslaved in Egypt, God sends plagues when Pharaoh refuses to let God's people go. And the last of those plagues is the death of the firstborn. God is going to pass through Egypt and kill the firstborn of both people and animals. But he tells the people of Israel to slaughter a lamb and to place some of its blood on the side and the top of your door frames. Then in Exodus 12:13, God tells the people, the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you no destructive plague will touch you when I strike Israel. The lamb dies, but the firstborn of the Israelites doesn't have to. And later, the priest of Israel will sacrifice one lamb in the morning and one lamb in the evening every day for the sake of the people of Israel. And then ultimately, God would send his son, his only son, the beloved Son, Jesus, whom John called the Lamb of God. And that beloved Son, like, like Isaac, would walk up a mountain with the wood for his sacrifice on his back. But this time, at the climactic moment, at the life of the beloved Son hangs in the balance, God would not stop the sacrifice. That God does not spare his own son. Why? Because while a, a replacement could be offered for Isaac, right, so that God promises remain true, no replacement could take Jesus' place because he is the replacement. Like, on the cross, Jesus takes our place. We deserve to die for our sins. But just as the ram died so that Isaac can live, Jesus dies so that we can live. We all, probably most of us, know John 3.16, inside, outside, upside down. We know it so well that it's easy again to lose the significance. But in light of what we know about Abraham, we've seen on Abraham this morning. Hear the word of that verse again. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God provides Jesus, the Lamb of God, to die for us so that we would not perish, that we could have eternal life. Like he is our substitution. And this provision of eternal life comes through nothing more than believing in Him. When it comes to my relationship with God and my own salvation, like I'm often tempted to act like Abraham, like waiting for the birth of my promised child. Right? Like, Abraham, as he waited, it's like, God, I know you promised. And that, like, all you need, all you want me to do is to wait for you to keep that promise. Like, but, but surely there is something I can do. Surely I can contribute something. But I must have to do something. And so Abraham, in his effort to contribute something to God's work, takes matters into his own hands with Hagar. Like, I often try to do the same thing with my promised salvation. I try to take matters in my own hands. I try to help God along in keeping his promises. I try to earn my favor with God by doing good things to make God happy with me. Like, surely God must require something more than faith in order to keep his promises. But just as Abraham learn that taking things in its own hands didn't work. 
God is teaching me over and over and over again that like, there is nothing I can do to make his promise of eternal life more true. Like, everything that needed to be done was provided by God. His promise will come true because he is God. And as God, he provides the means for his promises to come true. He provided the ram for Isaac, and he provides Jesus for you and for me. So after, after saving Isaac and providing a replacement, God speaks to Abraham again, and he reaffirms the promise one more time. And as God speaks to Abraham here, it's the 35th and last time we see God speak to Abraham in the Bible. And so in Genesis 22, verses 15 through 18, we read, The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. God here like, reiterates many of the same promises that he made to Abraham when he first called Abraham way back in Genesis chapter 12. He will bless Abraham. He will make Abraham a father of a great nation, of many descendants. He will bless the whole earth through Abraham. God's first words and his last words to Abraham are largely the same. Even though Abraham sinned, even though Abraham failed numerous times, even though at certain times the promises of God seemed hopelessly far-fetched, God's promises to Abraham never changed. And every step of the way, God provided what was needed for his promises to come true. And God continues to do that for us today. He continues to make his promises true. And ultimately, that, he does that through Jesus. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And we could, we could spend a long time talking about all the different promises God has made to us and how they are yes in Christ. But instead, I just want to close by reading one passage of Scripture that has like, so many of these precious promises. And as we read these, as we hear these promises, just remind ourselves that all these promises are true, that God has already provided all that is needed for these promises to be true by sending Jesus. So in Romans 8, starting in verse 26, we read, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those who he, those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son. He spared Isaac, but he didn't spare his own son. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? 
Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is it who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You are in Christ. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. That is God's promise and God's promises are sure. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God who not only makes great promises, but who keeps them. That you do all that is required for your promises to be true. And through faith in Jesus, you invite us to experience the blessing of those promises. When life is hard, when life is challenging, when things don't seem to be going our way, when the world seems against us, remind us of your promises. Remind us of your goodness. Remind us that you are working all things for the good of those who love you. You are working all things to conform us into the image of your Son. And that you have promised that one day you will return. You will usher in a new heavens and a new earth and we will live forever in a new earth free of sin and death and pain and suffering. You have promised. We trust your promise because you have shown yourself faithful over and over again. God, help us to look forward to that day even as we live in a fallen and broken world now. God, thank you for all that you've done for us. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you, above all, for sending Jesus for us. That the Lamb was slain, the Lamb died so that I may live. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close our service now with a closing song, one that speaks exactly about the message we've just heard. It's a song that we haven't done for a while in this church, so if you don't know it, just meditate on the words. Uh, If you do know it, sing along with us. Let's stand together as we dismiss.
that God has made you glorious promises in his word, and that God is at work to keep those promises. You are dismissed.